painful sex, peeing when you sneeze, heavy menstrual bleeding, hemorrhoids, these are just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to crap women deal with after childbirth, surgery, or just living life as a woman. Yet no one talks about it. How can we live our best life as a woman, mom, partner, and athlete without having to settle for average sex or dirty pants? This is the question, and this podcast will dive into real answers. If you get offended easily, this is not the podcast for you. We get real, and sometimes real isn't pretty or proper. If you have young ones nearby, we suggest you put in headphones. We are Joss and Jenny, and welcome to Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs. Before we get started, if you like what you hear, follow us on Instagram, at the Vagina Doc and at Pelvic Boxer. DM us and we will personally answer your questions. For this episode and all future episodes, please keep in mind our disclaimer. The information on this podcast is intended as general information only and should not be substituted or used in lieu of medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Hi, everyone. In our season one finale, we have a very special guest, Julie Katakis, otherwise known as Madge the Vag. We hope that you enjoy this episode and that you've enjoyed season one of Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs. Please join us after the holidays in January for an all new season two with some very exciting guests. Happy holidays. I have a very special guest on the show today. Someone that I have been just like fangirling for the last several months. We have Julie Katakis from Madge the Vag on the show today. Hey, hello. So welcome, Julie. <laughs> hello. Real talk for the Pelvic Docs, and thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. Oh, so excited. And also, the way that your show rhymes is wonderful, being Madge the Vag, Real Talk, Pelvic yeah, I appreciate that. I was, uh, I will admit, I was a little jealous uh, that you um, got the name, Match uh, the Badge. I'm like, dang, that's good. Can't be beat. You know, you'd be surprised. There's some other Match the Vages out there on Instagram, I noticed, I found. And I don't know why. I don't think they have anything to do with vaginas, though. So that's, that's the mystery there. But <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I found them. So, Julie, go ahead and tell us a little bit about the person behind Madge the Madge. The person behind Madge. Well, I guess I'm the... So, basically, the way uh, it all works is I started off as just, like, doing stand-up. And I was doing my own little online videos and stuff. Not really focused on or not realizing I did a lot of vaginal content. But then when I look back, I was like, oh, I did a lot of things related to the vagina. Who knew? I just wasn't realizing it. <laughs> um, and then Scary Mommy came up with this wonderful idea to do a show about, you know, focused on women's health. Um, and I was called in to basically audition for this show. And um, I sort of created the character that you see they had this idea for a Madge the Vag person, and then we kind of together made this thing, so. Did you always have a passion for women's health, or what was your background before you got into stand-up? Um, actually, I was a lawyer, um, and I don't, I, I guess I wouldn't say that I had this passion for women's health, aside from the fact that I'm a woman and have had 
some pretty awful experiences at the gynecologist and um, also some good ones. So aside from just being a woman living the life of, you know, having issues health-wise and how that worked, I didn't have this particular passion in my life or focus, to be honest. So at what point did you transition out of law, practicing law? Are you, are um, you still practicing or are you full-time I'm actually, I'm now no longer in the legal world. It was a kind of a slow transition out. I was doing more and more mag stuff and writing and then less and less law. And actually last year was my last year of legal stuff. It was finally done. How do you, how, where did the vision of acting come from? Because that seems a lot different than, yeah, than practicing law. Well, I don't, I didn't have a vision to be an actor. I never really wanted to be. I always liked writing and stand up to me was more of a, a sort of way to learn how to write funny things. So I never thought myself a performer, but then um, with just social media, I started doing these silly characters online because I'm, I was a single mom for many years and I just got married last year actually, but I was solo momming for a while and it was a great way for me to be networking comedically and just sort of having a little life outside of home. <laughs> so I was just doing all these weirdo characters and stuff like that. And um, it just kind of happened. I wouldn't think myself really an actor, but the cool thing is about Madge is that it's, I get to do what I like to do, which is these weird characters. I get to write funny things and it actually has a purpose. I can't tell you how exciting that is. And I don't think I realized how much people would appreciate it or how much it would actually impact women prior to doing it. It is incredible how purposeful your information is. Like every, every episode that you've put out, whether it's on vibrators or going to the gynecologist asking <laughs> questions, I mean, it, that has to be so, uh, fulfilling to be able to do something fun, the acting, the, the development component, the writing, and then it impacts so many women. Yeah, I, I, you know, I get these really nice messages from women of all ages, young women who are not even maybe 20 years old who have reached out, because we have videos on Snapchat as well, which is a younger audience. And I didn't know, are they getting this information? Because you'll see comments saying, oh, this should be in schools or, you know, uh, I, oh, this is great. I'd show it to my daughter. And I was like, oh, that's really wonderful. Because I knew nothing as a young person. And it's, yeah. And then I'll see these comments from older women, more mature women that are like, I knew nothing. I am now learning. I'm 50 something years old. And it's still really helpful for me to know. And just to also even think how little older women are even considered when you talk about sexuality or just women's health. They're just kind of, I think, cast aside. So having really trying, we really want to encompass every age and all women and just, you know, reach out to everybody. Julie, why do you think health literacy for women's health, women's anatomy, physiology, why do you think that's so poor across the lifespan? Well, I think this actually is very long answer, so I will be as short as possible, but it's an, I mean, if it's kind of one of those things that you have to look in at history to really understand how women's bodies, how their virginity, 
how their sexuality has been regarded. And although we have changed and evolved so much, there are pieces of that that are still around. Like just looking at like if, you know, virginity was this commodity at one time. Um, you know, the whole idea of like women being able to be sexual beings, we were really polarized in that sense. And when you are polarized that way, you aren't able to even grasp or embrace your body the way you should. And as a result, education about how you're feeling down in your vagina, like if there are problems there, there's this shame involved, there is embarrassment, people don't want to talk about it. And doctors weren't educated on women for a very long time. And I, you know, just the idea of endometriosis is now becoming more of a thing that people understand is really baffling. So where do you pull your topics from? Or is that um, a little bit from Scary Mommy? They just give you some ideas and you pick? Do you, are these just topics that you have been affected by personally? Or where do you draw that from? Different places. So I might come up with an idea that I'm like, we really need to talk about this. Um, our team might come up with ideas. We talk about it together. We look at audience questions, things that they're requesting. If something is really coming up a lot, then that's how we looked into endometriosis as something to actually do a, a video on and PCOS, stuff like that. Um, also, when we are out, we go on the street and do um, what we call it mom on the street or, you know, they say men. Those are some they, of my favorite segments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's pretty, what we learned is you have to keep it so basic. Even if you think people know, they probably don't know. So we really get very basic with things. And, you know, we'll ask people on the street. And we are not getting, this is not something that we have rehearsed or anything. These are real answers. A lot of people don't know a lot. And um, that's how we get a lot of ideas about what we need to do. Um, STDs is something I want to get into because they're on the rise apparently. So we haven't really done STDs and that's a very important one to get to touch on actually. Yeah. So what goes into each of the episodes that you guys shoot? Well, the process? it's very fun. So we get our idea that we find uh, either a gynecologist who we know or a new person or an expert, whatever is most useful. And um, we often do the interviews first because we've written scripts ahead of time and realize, oh, wow, we got that wrong. <laughs> like we thought she was going to say a very different thing. Somehow we were totally wrong, which is we're learning as we go as well. We usually do an interview. We learn all this amazing stuff. And then we make skits out of things. Like when I do an interview, we'll have some preset questions and then I'll ask a bunch of silly stuff on my own and, you know, we'll see where the conversation goes. And we get, we generate skit ideas from things that I say um, and then how we make our kind of story, our little vaginal story. And then when we shoot it, it's all kind of just, you know, we have an idea and then we just do things on the fly a lot. It's very fun, actually. It's a good time. <laughs> it is so smooth. Like the, the, your comments and the way you ask questions and then your responses are just, there's, they make, they make the, the skits just that much funnier. So <laughs> That's amazing that you can do that. It's super admirable. Yeah, well, the doctors are wonderful to uh, be patient with me. And <laughs> I always warn them, like, I'm going to ask you some weird questions. Don't oh. be alarmed. <laughs> How Sometimes the facial expressions are the best yeah. part. Yeah, the facial expressions. Oh, my gosh. They're yes, just, they're they awesome. will ask, like, should I be funny? And I'm like, no, no, no. Your natural reaction is the best part. So... <laughs> 
You don't have to do anything. <laughs> is this like a day long process or is this weeks? Oh, I would say, you know, writing it is rather, you know, it doesn't take too long to put a script together. Um, the inner, we could do it all about a day and a half, honestly, if we're focused and we, you know, get down to it. That's, wow. I'm always waiting for the next episode to be released. Was the most yeah, we, recent one, the 12 days of um, <laughs> the Christmas one? Well, the holiday one. Holiday yes. One. <laughs> so good. That so might be one, one of my new favorite ones because I got to sing all these vagina songs that I've been dying to do. I keep saying, <laughs> can I please sing? Can I please sing? <laughs> I finally got to do it. You have a really good voice. So it's <laughs> five stars for that episode. <laughs> so what have you found has worked and what hasn't worked in getting your message across to yeah great question and obviously something we look at so um one thing i noticed when there are male doctors women don't like it and i get why i don't i don't either <laughs> um one thing for sure we had a couple of male doctors and they weren't into that at all um there were comments um another thing is that simpler the better honestly um things like how do you clean your vagina is just people want to know these basic things that may seem obvious but are not and I think it's because it seems obvious but we're not sure and we don't want to ask so I am happy to be the person who takes on all of the embarrassment and the weird questions and asking hey what's a discharge why does it smell like that you know I'm happy to to take on everybody's issues and ask them for people. So really just the basic things that happen to people all the time. So that to me is what seems to do really well. The more sexual we get, I think some people get uncomfortable. Um, I think we did one on cunnilingus that was a little off-putting for certain people. And also it was a young woman who was just so comfortable with herself and a lot of us aren't, and I think no one was quite ready for this young woman to be like so comfortable with sex in her body. And we're like, wait, what? Because you need to relate to the character a bit. Right, right. <laughs> so I was like, wait, um, which is great. I wish I had been like that, but <laughs> but sexual gets a little uncomfortable for certain people, which is a sign that we have to do it more in a certain way. So yeah, are those up? Are those conversations? ever awkward when you're doing the interview or no actually I never feel awkward I think because I get to be this character I don't feel awkward at all um the only time I've felt uncomfortable is when we do on the street interviews and somebody's not ready for the question and I don't ever want to make anyone feel uncomfortable themselves that's the only time I felt uncomfortable so when I feel that I'm like oh let me just ask a different question but um as the person asking them, I don't mind at all. I, I take quite a large amount of joy doing it. And the character lends to it because, um, you know, it's not a particularly, you know, the personality I thought worked best was like this sort of non-sexual character. You know, it, it's sort of like, she doesn't know anything, but she yeah. loves everything. She just wants to know it all. Like, you know, a yeast infection? Ooh, I want one. Like that's her <laughs> sort of, <laughs> what's that? I want to try it. Yeah. It's like Will Ferrell and Elf. I don't know. That's how I think of her. <laughs> Excellent analogy. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. One. So what, <laughs> um, what are some topics besides the STDs that yeah. 
you want more information, but just haven't gotten the opportunity to dive into that those yet. So, you know, at one point we were like, well, what else can we do? There's just so much. One, I want to get into young women and their first time having sex, which is probably going to be a bit tough, but I sort of think it's very important because my knowledge at the time was that, oh, it's going, it's, it's supposed to be awful, painful, bad, but it's not. So it doesn't have to be. So I want to kind of just talk about it. So young women don't go in with those thoughts and accept it being awful, bad, and pain, you know, to have more empowerment when it comes to choosing when to have sex and with whom and all that kind of stuff. Um, I want to talk about trans vaginas. We get some people who are saying you haven't done anything on that. And I would love to learn about it. I don't know a lot about it. You know, the, all the, the operation, how it works, what happens afterwards, the care, everything. How similar is it? How different is it afterwards? I don't know these things. So that's something I definitely want to do. Those are the two that stick out to me. Those are big topics, exciting topics, important topic. topics. Now, <laughs> now, what's your plan of getting uh, the information on the trans vaginas? Well, I imagine I would like to speak with someone who has gone through it or is going okay. through it or probably gone through the whole process would be best. And then a doctor who has done this sort of, you know, transitional operation, all that stuff and talk to two, both um people and get just you know a really you know we don't have a lot of time we only have well, like five minutes so you know you can only sort of get so far but at least if we get some story so we all get a better understanding of what it means what it's like why you know what it does and, and then for other people who are thinking about it they have an idea of what it means and you know what the care is like and all that stuff is do you find it hard to get in contact with the people you want to interview um, for that one, that one might be tough. There are some that are harder than others. When it comes to regular, like, um, you know, what you expect at the gynecologist, that's fairly easy. There's a lot of gynecologists who are eager to be on the show, but mm -hmm. one that I had trouble, I would like to do also vaginal piercing. Cause I think that's interesting. And, um, how do you, is that dangerous? Is it good? But I, I, every time I called a, a piercing place, they were, they seemed a little not interested. <laughs> I was like, is it because they're not cool enough? Like, what is it? Come on. I don't know why, but that one's a tough one so far. <laughs> That's a good one to, because I mean, I've, I've pondered it. Not that I would want one, but like, what is that like? I've had patients that have had them in the past. I'm like, Ooh, yeah. And ha like when you have a baby, do you have to take it out? Does it, yeah. are there infections that you think about? Obviously there's something. So um, I'm just curious. These are things that I'm curious about that we haven't done, but that's a tough one that we haven't been able to get people to get on board with us. And I don't know why. How many interactions I've, I know you've had a few, there's a few episodes, but how many interactions have you had with any physical therapists that specialize in women's health and pelvic floor dysfunction? So we had really just one and she, it was great. She went through some exercises with me. Um, there was like a rolling pin thing and a ball. We did that kind of stuff. We early on did a Kegels episode, but it was with, I think, Pilates instructor. Okay. I think I remember that episode. Yeah. So that was very early on, but um, I would like to do an actual class with someone 
who will show me all the different things. Like I, and with other women too, it would be really fun. Some it's, a, it's, a, <laughs> it's a broad topic. And so the information that you can get, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot out there that you, you could pick from. Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't think Kegels work, so I don't know. Yeah, they kind of think it's not a true thing, and so it would be interesting. So we actually know that 50% of women that haven't been formally assessed by somebody that actually knows how to test pelvic floor muscle function specifically, um, and usually physical therapists or the provider that are trained in that do them wrong. So it's kind of Ooh. like if you think you're bending your elbow, but then you're actually straightening your elbow, of course it's not going to work. But the big thing, and I think as pelvic health physical therapy becomes more mainstream because we're getting more and more research to know that it does work. Um, kegels are not for everybody. So when people have pain with sex, when people have constipation, um, when people have urinary urgency frequency or leakage because they have such a strong urge and they can't go to the bathroom, do you, not all the time, but mm -hmm. sometimes it's because the muscles are overactive. So mm -hmm. you would never ask a muscle that's overactive or spasmed to do more contractions. So usually in those women, we say, don't do don't kegels. Do. Mm -hmm. We actually need to work on relaxing those muscles and working on the control and coordination of the muscles. And then maybe eventually teaching those muscles how to function and contract when you want them to is very appropriate. But I think in my clinical practice, the women that come in and say kegels don't work, it's usually because A, either kegels are not appropriate for them, or B, they think they're doing a kegel, but they're doing the opposite of a kegel. Aha, uh -huh. see, yeah. that's very important. There you go. Because I, when I would read those comments, I was like, well, maybe they don't work. Or why aren't they working? Are you not doing them right? But yeah. even more so, is it not even the right thing to do in that moment? Those are the important things. And you say kegel, I said kegel. I don't know. <laughs> and you know, it's actually, it comes from a doctor's yeah. name. So yeah. I don't even know how to pronounce it. Sometimes I say Kegel, sometimes I say Kegel, and sometimes I just say a pelvic floor muscle contraction because I don't even <laughs> want to like tomato, tomato, whatever. I know. The way I like to describe it is it's like telling someone to go do a hamstring exercise. Mm -hmm. So Kegel is like, okay, go drive a car. There are so many different types of pelvic floor contractions. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so something that Jenny and I spent like a crazy amount of additional hours of training to teach people how to do it and implement. And it's so it's hard to, to do videos on because it's it's so different for everyone, you know? Right, right. And it's the way that society was taught about pelvic floor contractions was it's just this general like it's just one word. It's just a kegel. But really it's like, oh, is it a Romanian deadlift or a uh, hamstring curl with a ball? It, it's, there are so many different types. Mm. When you just tell someone, to, oh, just do kegels. That's like, like what well, are you well, doing? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. See, then I don't know. I really don't do them. So I should, maybe I should, I should. But <laughs> Jenny, do you want, it's like, it's, <laughs> I say with like people that I haven't assessed, I'm like you could, it's a good idea to potentially do a Kegel prior to a sneeze, a cough, before you're yelling at your kids, before you're <laughs> blowing your nose, or before uh, like blowing a whistle or something like that. Um, but it's, it's one of those things that part of the system is automatic. Um, so we shouldn't be having to think about tightening these muscles all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, but there are instances where it, you do need reinforcement. And the way that I like to describe it to people, 
after like soon after having a child is it's like if you had your main muscle on the front part of your leg that helps control you your leg when you're walking imagine if that was stretched three times its original length mm -hmm. we'd rehab it so early on there's a process of rehabbing that tissue and you do need to be consciously contracting at certain times but like for someone that you know years out or someone like me who's never had children do i need to be doing kegels just all day probably no. not well so that's and maybe that's the question that i might ask of you both is you know sometimes the way that i see things presented for women when it comes to the health of their vaginas is like, oh yeah, of course you're going to leak or of course that's going to happen. You're just going to have problems down there. Periods are horrible. You should be laid up in bed for months at a time. <laughs> you know, all these horrible things. And we've just kind of been like, oh, that's just how it is. Or is it the case that, you know, maybe we should start thinking, wait, maybe that's just not necessarily how it is. Or, you know what I'm saying? So like, should I kegel or should I not kegel? is not, you know, just a question of doing it or not doing it, but do I have an issue? Should I be working on it? And I don't think a lot of us know. Yeah. So I would really love to take that one. So I think the answer is, it's kind of across the board, no, it's not normal to leak. Having children, getting older, that's not something that women should expect just to happen. Mm -hmm. And it's very infuriating to see some of these pad companies almost capitalize on the fact yes. that they have these products to help and really women spend on average over a thousand dollars a year on incontinence products and you start to think about some of those older people that are maybe um living on social security they're getting 750 dollars a month mm -hmm. i mean that wouldn't even you know you can't even pay for your incontinence products and there are things that women can do to help and i'm certainly not saying that you know doing exercises alone is just going to completely make things better but if you have a health problem, unless you're really stubborn, most people will go to the doctor and get it assessed because right. unless you know what the actual problem is, how can you give the appropriate interventions to fix that? Mm -hmm. So perhaps we're a little bit biased because we are physical therapists, but I think a good general recommendation is if you're concerned about something, go to the gynecologist so we can rule out kind of scary things. Do you have an infection? Is there some kind of tumor? Is there something mm -hmm. that needs to be medically addressed? And if you go to the gynecologist and they say, no, all those things are fine, then asking for a referral to pelvic floor physical therapy, because a lot of doctors are starting to get on board with it now because it's starting to be taught in medical schools. Mm -hmm. But physicians that are a little bit older, it's not one of their standard practice patterns. And it's very challenging to get people to change their practice patterns. So I find that it's more so women advocating for themselves and saying, hey, I'd really like to go to this provider. Physicians usually don't have a problem with it because if you're doing exercise, I mean, we're doing our jobs right. It's not a medication, so there's no side effects. It's not mm -hmm. going to make you worse. The worst case scenario is either A, you're not appropriate, and we tell you that after we evaluate you, or B, you try these things and it doesn't really help, and then you're no worse off than where you were. But more times than not, women see very significant improvement. And, you know, I think from your perspective and where you sit, I mean, we care about quality of life and educating women. And sometimes just spending a session educating women on things like you said, just how do you clean the vagina? It's a self-cleaning organism. We don't need to be douching. Mm -hmm. um, it, 
it kind of hurts my heart when I hear that. And usually there's some kind of stigma or some male in their life said that they needed to be doing these things. And um, so really just reinforcing the message that you give out, but from a different perspective, I think using comedy is such a good way to reach the masses because it's one of those things where you think about the steps to change and there's you know pre-contemplation and contemplation. It's really easy if you're privately sitting at your home to get on your phone and watch a video. Mm-hmm. And then if it's a little funny, it's like, oh, well, yeah, maybe I do have this. And oh, yeast infection maybe isn't something that I wanna get or here's some signs and symptoms of it. This is what I should do. So one thing that I really like about what you do is it really does offer an educational platform in a very safe space Mm -hmm. um, for women. So I don't know if you'd consider doing another pelvic floor physical therapy episode, but I think if women could hear from you that, you know, these things are not normal Mm -hmm. um, and we're even starting to move away from the common but not normal you know, it's just not normal and talk Mm -hmm. to your doctor about it. And there's things that can be done. I think you sending that message just helps to educate women on a much further reach than perhaps us as a smaller profession are able to do at the current time. Yeah. I, well, we definitely want to do more stuff. And that's, that's certainly something that I've been, I mean, we're trying to communicate and I definitely want to keep um, pushing, particularly as I've learned about you know, I, I feel like, you know, a lot of this has been such a learning experience for me. Um, but sure. just learning how, wait, I, oh, right. It's not supposed to be that bad. Even if I'm not having that issue, particular, you know, I, but like just the incontinence products, I was, we were maybe, I think there was an offer to work with one and I was not happy about it. And I didn't want to work with them <laughs> because I was like, yeah, I don't think women need that. They just need to know that it's not normal. So um, I'm glad you said that. That's very important. But yeah, it is something that I think it, it, more messaging on that is is definitely going to happen. Going in a completely different direction, mm-hmm. where does Julie end and Madge start? And how do you manage your, your true identity and your professional identity on a day-to-day basis? Oh, well, you know... Um, I suppose the the minute I get the makeup on or I just start doing the voice, I know a lot of people think the voice is annoying, but it's helpful to me. (laughs) But um, I fall right into it pretty much once I start getting ready and becoming her. And then I guess as, as, as Julie, I, you know, I, I don't think I'm completely detached from the Madge character in that, um, I learn all this new stuff and I try to carry on that sort of um, education and viewpoint about it and talk about it openly. And I mean, I have a little vulva on my Christmas tree. So, um, (laughs) so although we don't, we don't have a complete separation, let's just say, and my daughter's very proud. She likes to tell everyone that mommy does uh, videos about vaginas. How do you talk with her about these types of topics? very openly. Any question she has, I answer. And, you know, so she knows maybe more than other girls her age know. Um, but I think it's great. I mean, it, it establishes a really um, close relationship between the two of us that we can just talk about it and there's no shame, you know, involved, which is great. And so she keeps asking me more questions. Um, 
but again, I, I do tend to use humor a lot in, in the way I deliver things, but I don't like to overdo it, obviously, because it's not a joke, but it takes the tension away and it makes it a little bit easier to ask even more questions and be more comfortable. But with kids, you have to really listen to what are they asking and how much can they handle. So the minute her eyes kind of glaze over, I just stop talking. But yeah, if she has questions, I answer them. And she loves to know, she loves to talk about her, you know, body and she's totally comfortable with it, which is great. So far, so good. <laughs> do you notice if her friends uh, are on board with that or do they get kind of weirded out? Um, her friends are a lot like her in the way that they are not too shy about those things. She's definitely... Um, considered maybe a bit uh, extreme in that world, but nobody's uncomfortable about it, which is good. Yeah. So any parents contact you and say, please keep your daughter away from our no. daughter? <laughs> no, I think That's one great. mentioned something about my, I forget something. I can't remember what it was, but she was telling them something about vaginas. She's like, well, that's great. I'm glad she knows that. She thought it was great. She wasn't uncomfortable about it. So it was funny that she's talking to people about pubic hair or something. It was. That's awesome. <laughs> so Julie, if people want to follow you, if they're, if this is their first exposure to Madge the Badge, how can people find you and watch your content? Well, this is actually, um, I want to say something in, in answering this question. The best place right now is Instagram, um, which is on Scary Mommy, at Scary Mommy, I think is all it is, and, and the videos post on there. Um, I started just recently a Madge personal Instagram, and slowly that will, you know, I'll post things on there, but that'll be more behind the scenes stuff. So if you want the videos and the content, mostly Instagram right now. We have all of our videos also on Facebook but they get hidden because Facebook has classified Madge as being extreme content. And therefore only if you're looking up pornographic things will I pop up. How does and that make you feel? Pretty, pretty angry actually. I'm not happy about it because again, you know, it shows this idea that if you're talking about women's sexuality or health, it means it's dirty and it's not um, okay for others to, to hear about. And it's very frustrating. So, um, so you're not going to, you're, I mean, it's upsetting because I'll, I'll go on there and the, the views have dropped drastically and you'll see comments every now and then like, I wonder where Madge got to. And it, it's there. It's just not, it's being hidden because of, for the wrong reasons out of ignorance and sexism. So anyway, Instagram's probably the best place to find us right now. So it's scary mommy and it will be on every couple of weeks. We post a video. Excellent. Well, do you have any parting words for us? Um, biggest parting, the most I can say is talk about it, don't be ashamed, and always ask questions of your doctor, and send me questions as well, because I'm happy to answer them, and um, yeah, never be ashamed about your body. And What's, can this just send questions to you at Scary Mommy? Uh, it's madgethevag at somespider.com, if we can remember that, yeah. Can you repeat that one more time? Sure, madgethevag at somespider.com. Excellent. All right, Julie. Well, thank you so much for coming on with us today. We really appreciate it and we look forward to some more wonderful content. Thank you so much. It was wonderful speaking with you and yes, we'll do some more physical therapy stuff. Thanks so much. Awesome. Awesome. Take care. Okay.